0: India Charts The Truth About the Markets. India Charts publishes Nifty Daily, daily video updates, the weekly Elliott weight outlook and the long shot report covering all asset classes. The Nifty Metal Index up 4.5% closing and has gone up for the 8th consecutive day. Similarly, USD INR has moved up for the last 10 days by more than 2.5 rupees. Some crazy moves out there. But there's a pretty fair explanation and there's been also a regime shift that the RBI has really made yesterday that you need to understand. But first, let's talk about the markets. Nifty, trying to close above 14,930 today. That's the 61% retracement mark of the recent decline that we've seen from the second week of March all the way to the bottom. It would have been nice that we close above that But fair enough, we are still above the 20-40 day moving averages. We've made a slightly higher high than the high that we made last week. And so those give us interesting points where we are starting to make higher highs and higher lows. And I think somewhere there's an intermarket divergence between the Nifty and Bank Nifty at the recent low where Bank Nifty sold off to make a lower low in the last few days and the Nifty made actually a higher low. And so in that sense, you have an intermarket divergence. These divergences sometimes precede market turns. And I think that's what you probably have. So we should be in the process of turning from down to up. We probably have already for the Nifty. And I think Bank Nifty also made its low point two days ago. And I think that should hold. So that's my general sense of what the market is doing. It's bottoming out and turning up. We published the long short report over the weekend on Sunday, highlighting not just these trends but also what else we've been anticipating for most of last year and the question raised uh, by many over the last couple of weeks including myself to myself was whether we could really mark something as complete and by complete I mean uh, whether we've completed and in an Elliott Wave sense we say something is complete when five waves are done in the direction of the trend and then you're in for maybe some kind of a meaningful correction or a consolidation phase. Now, it's been a tough question to answer and that's not the view I started out with at the start of March. Those of you who heard the last podcast, we are essentially looking for a two-week decline that would go into the second or third week of March, right, into the 20, 20th or 21st or 22nd of the month based on that calculation simply because in an ABC correction, the wave A took two weeks and I just made a time estimate that wave C from the top in March could also take another two weeks. So, that was a very simple thought process and that worked because after two weeks last week we closed positive it was of course a holiday shortened week we only traded for three days so that can raise skepticism at that point whether a short week would qualify but that said we got the turn uh, in the nifty uh it held ended up holding the 14300 mark which is multiple supports from multiple levels we have a rising channel all the way from may 2020 61 percent retracement of the post budget rally The 20-week average, which slowly moved up from, you know, 13,900 to 14,200 and this week will be above 14,300. So all these levels together clustering around the same point have been protected so far. And if uh, we don't really break below that, then in a sense, the larger trend up is still in force. So I think that's the conclusion I made after having turned negative in early March uh, and spend time thinking about whether we could really complete a bigger wave. So, that's where as we got into the end of March, I was a little confused as to, you know, you will break this level because if you broke 14.300, you don't open up to a dip to 13.6 and then you don't know what else will follow. Will the reversal from there be only a counter trend bounce because you would have broken the rising channel. Well, anyway, none of that happened and once we got a sense that the levels were holding... Uh, I have written the very detailed report again this Sunday. So you, you would have to read that because metals remain on top of my mind. That's been the sector I think we've touted for all of last year uh, on the blog uh, since I think May, June of last year when we called the reflation trade. And that's uh, that was a very long term view. It was not something only for six to eight months. But yes, if we did get a pullback, you would have gotten a deeper pullback in these sectors. But that seems to be less likely. And the reason we thought that could happen is i think the dollar so uh, my dollar bearish view has been the underlying thesis and i thought the dollar index would simply extend after a brief bounce from jan to feb but that bounce went on for a while and i think that's probably the other reason that was spooking me about a bigger correction and so i thought maybe by the end of march if you actually close positive for the quarter on that maybe i'll have to change my wave counts now you did get the dollar index closing positive for the quarter But uh, somewhere it's stopped near the weekly Bollinger Band. Now, it's making me again think, should I really give way to what's happened on the quarterly chart? So I just stick to the wave count that I've marked so far, which is actually an extension, which is 1-2-1-2, which means that the third wave started in, you know, November-December. That's when the metal rally and even a lot of the PSU stocks really bottomed out and took off. And from there, the pullback is just wave two of three. So it's just part of a larger move up rather than the end of a move now it doesn't make make a lot of difference because in either case if if once you bought i mean top out for the dxy and start heading down it has the same narrative coming back but it would have made a difference you know if it took more time what you can't rule out if you call it a deeper larger degree second wave is that will you go to a 61 percent retracement eventually you know and that would have mean the dxy going to 94 95 and so on and ruling that out was important now, we have got an initial sell-off this week, which looks like an impulsive start of another leg down. We will, of course, uh, continue to look whether that evidence spills over onto weekly charts and monthly charts or, you know, some some surprise shows up. So, so far, we don't have that. And so, I'm slowly aligning with that view. And that simply meant that you had to go back to the sectors that uh, benefit most from it. And I guess metals with the infra spend plans that the US announced was going to be Uh, the one that would attract the most attention. But really within metals, it's been steel all year long. It's actually been, steel has, you know, stolen the show. That's what you can say. At each stage of this rise in the metals pack, steel stocks have actually outperformed the rest. And that's what has happened this week as well. Uh, The big moves were not so much in, say, a Hindalco or an Alco, but really in Tisco, Steel Authority, GSW and so on, all these steel producers. So those have been on a roll, especially uh, some people thought that, you know, prices in, China were easing or, you know, imports were easing and there would be some, you know, setback in the short term. But instead, you ended up getting one more blow-off rally in that part of the segment. Now, definitely something that's gone on one way for eight days could see a pullback correction. So, you can't really climb onto a, you know, moving target. If you are a long-term investor, of course, you've held on for most of the year. But if you're trading in and out, then it's a little late to try and latch on to this move. Uh, and every move in, in trading you do get pullbacks and you watch for those the hard part is that if you don't you know uh, end up being early in these moves then are you really going to get a meaningful retracement or very small one day pullbacks and then the trend really continues to the upside and if that happens then it's just going to be a strong one-way thing that's going to just go on so i think uh, you'll have to seriously think about that but uh, I think something else has happened, which makes our own markets interesting, uh, and also sets the stage for what could end up being huge, you know, uh, flows uh, both from the savings side, mutual fund side, uh, over you know several months. When you take a slightly bigger view, let's let's keep aside the short-term gyrations. What the RBI has really done with its uh, GSAP 1.0 is what they're calling it, very equivalent to quantitative easing, as they've admitted themselves. And uh, what GACP really stands for is, uh, you know, the GSEC acquisition program, they're calling it. They could have called it, uh, you know, anything. Of course, we all want names that we can associate with it and don't seem to be copying. But they've mentioned that the similar steps like all other central banks are taking are what they have also gone ahead with, which is what they did also when they got into LTRO. So slowly, step by step, RBI is moving in line with, you know, what central banks have been doing over the last decade. Now, when I say last decade, it also fits with my earlier economic cycles analysis where India has always been around 8 to 10 years or 15 years behind the US story on the counter-type cycle, right? When I mentioned that uh, the US entered the economic summer, okay, and it did that in the uh, years uh, of the 1970s, and that's ended with, you know, high inflation and high interest rates. And then I collate that with what happened in India in the mid-1990s, where we saw very high interest rates and inflation, and then we hit our own counter-type summer. And the summer is always followed by lowering of interest rates and you know controlling inflation. So in, in, initially, you, of course, raise interest rates. So you have the highest interest rate levels uh, over the next two decades at the point where the summer peaks and then uh, rates start coming down, inflation starts coming down, and then you start getting the autumn asset boom, which has been on in the US since the 1980s and in India started from the 2000s and then uh, you start wondering how long would this speculative autumn end and you know historically it's lasted for 10 12 15 years if you go back and study history uh, the 1920s roaring 20s not more than a decade long but this time around it's extended far far longer than what anybody's really thought we are already more than two decades into the indian run uss you know since if i consider it from 1980 or 82 then it's uh, you know how many 10 20 30 almost hitting 40 years in the next 2 years uh, and or if you consider it from 1980 itself then we just completed 40 years so that's pretty long run that you've managed to have where interest rates keep going down and there seems to be no end to it because uh, what has really helped all this happen is the move towards one floating interest rates and two globalization these were two i think the big measures happening simultaneously but i'll give more credit to floating rates which has allowed this system to go on and uh, you know survive for a much longer period of time than it would have under the classical measures. Because the classical method, if you wanted to do a currency devaluation, it would have come as a shock to a system. It would be an announcement by the government overnight. Now, this is something that just gradually happens uh, through the transmission of financial markets and sometimes even gets ignored by markets because it happens slowly over a period. And as long as you manage volatility, uh, everyone absorbs the effects of those currency movements so that has really helped expand uh, i think balance sheets debt levels and so on everything around the world that's i think one of the biggest players uh, and that's why everyone's moved to these currencies the eurozone towards a unified euro that trades against everything and in that sense now coming back to the main point india being you know around say a decade behind i in my long short reports in 2018 and 19 kept saying that we were in the same place as the us was in 2008 which is hitting a crisis of debt which we dealt with we got the ilfs crisis we got the nbfc's pulling down banking and financial services took a big hit and all the companies that were high in debt were anyway in decline from 2010 to 2020 which then all capitulated with the bankruptcy code so that's all now known uh, and accepted which was not being accepted when i actually wrote about it so what happens 10 years later u.s starts qe from 2009 10 11 qe1 qe2 and now we have what we are calling gsap 1.0 1.0 exactly 11 years later than QE1 started. So it fits that timeline that we, we are moving in the same uh, direction just uh, much later in time. And similarly, our interest rate cycle also, which was in a long uh, you know trading range, which I've called a B wave, I've posted that chart. It should be all over social media or on the India Charts website under the Intermarket Analysis section you'll find that bond yields were in a B wave for almost more than, you know, a decade from uh, 2002 to say 2018 or so. And that's where uh, that B wave completed a triangle. Uh, My old forecast used to be that interest rates would cross 9%, 9 9.5% based on that triangle because the last leg had to touch the top line. But what we did is we truncated, which is when the last move actually goes up but doesn't touch the top line. So it ended up, uh, you know, falling short and, uh, rolled over from 8.5% itself. That's where I think RBI ensured that despite the NBFC crisis, yields do not really go up. And so that that was the turning point from where interest rates in India started to head down, and have now started the uh, you know aiding the economy in you know turning around. And that's something that they're going to you know follow just like I think rest of the world has done, which is uh, you know provide uh, not just low interest rates but as yesterday's RBI policy puts it. Uh, we are now looking at sustained negative real interest rates. Okay, so, uh, I mean, uh, the the questions from the media were pretty apt and they were pretty directed in terms of two things. One is whether this uh, GSAP program is, you know, going to replace the OMOs and they said, no, we're going to just keep everything on. But what it does is it commits, just the way QE commits monthly purchases, they're committing annual purchases and they've said how much they will complete during the first quarter and so on. And so, you know... To what extent they're going to be there, and what that ensures is that interest rates then are you know going to stabilize. They'll not jump all over the place, and there's an expectation that where rates are going to be, and so when you have bids and offers for government bonds, they come in at reasonable levels rather than you know coming in at uh, you know unexpected levels where uh, the bidders are putting in very high rates, and then the uh, bond auction actually. Falls through. So, that is something they will be able to solve because now upfront they are committing that they are going to be doing bond purchases and uh, that will automatically get people bidding at lower and lower rates. So, that is a means of keeping interest rates low. And so, the follow up question, of course, was what happens to savers. Now, given the current situation, uh, what they've said is that they would want to keep accommodative policy, which simply goes to say that even if there's inflation for the time being based on their own projections at 5 to 6% over the next year, uh, they're probably going to overlook that for the sake of economic growth. And that means real interest rates remaining negative for a prolonged period of time, uh, which is also sometimes called financial repression, a policy that has been followed mostly by all central banks around the world over the last decade. US being frontline, Europe doing that. And increasingly, there are many places where real interest rates sometimes even turn positive are g- being kept in the negative zone. So what is the most direct impact of that? See, unlike before, uh, what used to happen to our is pretty much move in line with you know, the dollar trend. Now, we've increasingly seen that the INR was not moving down as fast as the dollar index was falling in the last several months or as fast as equities were rising. Some of it was blamed on RBI intervention. But I think somebody sensed that, you know, there was something pending on the upside. In fact, in November and December, even on my Elliott Wave model, uh, the fifth wave, I had to add two choices uh, when it comes to the USD-INR. Either it had topped out in 2018, which means it's forming something called an expanded flat. And that means that after the 2020 top, it should have fallen pretty fast in wave C, which is an impulsive decline. That didn't seem to be happening. And if that's not the case, then what's the alternate scenario? And the alternate scenario is that you're forming an ending diagonal, which means that one last move of the fifth wave towards 78, 79 is pending. Uh, that would happen at some point of time. So I wrote about it in November. Then as I got bullish on markets again, December, Jan, I said, maybe it'll come down. And then last few weeks, again, I started writing about it breaking out on the upside. So in fact, 72.5 is where I actually... Uh, you know, last month, as March, we were st- uh, still bearish on the market. I thought uh, probably USDINR would spike up, just based on that chart reading, and so uh, uh, you know had long uh, USDINR positions at seventy two half. But as the market uh, view changed, uh, it was a choice to make. You know, should I really hold on to USDINR or should I be long uh, the Nifty and the market in general? And, you know, historically, because it's been an inverse correlation be- between these two, we la- rarely think of periods where uh, both can go up together. Now, even though I've written about it, uh, that both could go up together in the long short report, I was pretty clear. Holding on to both positions was really difficult, even for me with all the uh, idea of it and, you know, experience with it, because uh, you have to then deal with two things. One is you have a view that, you know, the DX5 may decline, and then you have a view that markets may rise, then how do you hang on to a USDINR? Long position. So clearly, I moved. Moment, moment, it didn't surpass seventy-three half uh, on the first breakout attempt. I moved out and uh, stuck with the bullish equity position. But definitely, post RBI meet, we've seen that breakout. So the breakout has been caused by RBI's actions, uh, because when you announce negative real interest rates, you're essentially weakening your currency uh, indirectly. And that was the most direct impact we've seen over the last two days where it spiked right through 73.5 went all the way to 74.5 and is settling, you know, somewhere around there, almost touching 75, which is a 61.8% retracement of the entire previous fall over the last one year. So you've seen a 61% retracement in almost no time, matter of 10 days or 10 trading, trading sessions. And now the question will become, can you really go above 75? I think eventually you will. It might not happen right away because this rises now five waves, which means, you know, when we say wave E, we are essentially saying it's going to move up in three waves, one up, one down, one up, one up may be done at 75. So maybe it's time to consolidate uh, that should ease press of pressure from the currency side on equities and, you know, general markets, uh, probably the uh, third wave, uh, the C wave of E towards 78, 79 will happen sometime later, whenever the next correction in the market shows up. So at that point of time, we consider that next leg for the INR. But in general, I guess then it means that the USD INR does not really go down meaningfully. Okay. It, it probably would, you know, hold on to some trading range, maybe form a triangle. That's a typical pattern in wave B or some kind of complex pattern like an expanded flat or something of that kind before we start the next move higher. In the meantime, if pressure does ease and we stay below 75, they, I guess uh, that's good for equities which have been picking up and the uh, moment they see that pressure ease and bond yields continuing to remain flat to lower, uh, it would uh, you know provide the stimulus for uh, equities to run. And the other big stimulus will be as, as long as you're keeping negative real interest rates, what you're really saying is that savers are unlikely to get better rates. Corporates will get better rates, which is they'll be able to borrow at lower interest rates, meaning that they too will not be paying too much in terms of interest and that means if you're a saver and you're facing inflation how are you going to get a higher rate of return and this is exactly the question posed to rbi the governor mentioned that you know you have to look where you can get higher i mean he had to be diplomatic on that answer but the answer is simple it means that you're not going to get that from fixed uh, rate instruments which uh, most people have been accustomed to and that might lead to a large amount of flow of money coming into equities i think uh, that's i think the big uh, takeaway with this whole decline in interest rates it's a trend which started more than a year ago because of course fixed deposit rates have been falling not just now but for quite a while and that has driven retail interest into markets a year back and people were calling that a bubble i said no this is just the beginning of flow because such kind of actions last for a couple of years So you have to define a bubble as the start of the bubble and the end. You just can't say, oh, everybody is coming into the market. So that's that's the end. That's probably just the beginning. Uh, Now, identifying when the herd will end or the herding will end is really a function of looking at market behavior. And the tool that captures market behavior best is Elliott Wave analysis itself. So I think that's what we will use as our means to understand When uh, the market completes this move and when it gets extended, there's also going to be the, so you have big forces, not just now internationally, which is, you know, central banks around the world stimulating, but you have our own, you know, government spending money additionally, which they've already announced in the budget, the RBI financing that, making sure that it doesn't spill over into the bond market and that support leading to keeping interest rates low, because of course, all this means debt levels and even in India start rising to levels we've not dealt with before and the only way you can deal with them as the world has proven is by keeping interest rates far below what they would have otherwise. The hard part, especially uh, for us, is going to be trying to get inflation down and keep it under control in this environment. That's, I think, going to be the trick question. And if you are not able to do that, it will be a different ball game. But... Uh, it looks like we may then just move towards looking at different things. For example, we may slowly shift from will we shift from looking at CPI to core inflation? I'm not sure how the inflation aspect gets addressed. Will it get addressed by a much stronger rupee as you know global dollar flows increase in into India? So many theses I can come up with on a two-year, three-year basis. In the short term, it might mean that as long as you know there are there is some inflationary pressure. Interest rates won't go up, but they might not go down too much. So maybe this range bond action, which we've seen over the last uh, several months, just continues that way. Uh, but at some point of time, the long-term trend for bond yields in India is downward, which is what I've also posted uh, in my uh, bond yield uh, chart, that the third wave points over several years ahead, uh, going all the way down to 4 or 4.5 or 4.2%, somewhere in that range. And if we are going to be heading there, you're going to you know, need a situation that allows you to head there and that situation may evolve and show up at some point of time. How is something that we'll have to actually watch in the market. I can only speculate on it as I just did. But uh, let us see how we get there. The charts are pretty clear that yields long term are headed lower. Short term, they've been in a range. Is the move lower already started or will it start later on? And if it starts right away, that means that, you know, real interest rates turn even more negative, which actually would support a weaker rupee. And that would then act as a stimulant for financial markets. That's my overall takeaway, which is, in short, uh, you have to be in trades that bet on being bullish on inflation, which means uh, whatever inflation-sensitive sectors that benefit from inflation, a weak INR, uh, which means if you're looking at 75 or 78, which sectors really benefit exporters. And so that's an entire segment where you see a bump up uh, directly. Usually, a weak INR would have meant weak equities, but because it's uh, it's the RBS intervention that is really causing it, it might end up being a situation where the Nifty and the USD INR go up together, and that will be something completely that we've not you know dealt with earlier. So that's uh, that's the situation to watch out for and look for pro-inflationary sectors, which is what we are seeing when you see sectors that are based on commodity cyclical uh, you know uh, price action you know, things like sugar, things like, you know, not just, uh, I mean, it could even be uh, other uh, uh, commodity producers that could benefit from rising prices. You'll start thinking about everything which is related to commodity, whether it's agro commodity prices, coffee, corn, you can see uh, what happened with soya beans and so on. But of course, identifying key stocks and sectors that gain or lose from each of these moves uh, is key. You will start thinking about things like chemicals, textile exporters and so on. But that's all only on one side of the You know, export story. There's uh, the inflationary cycle. It's you know far deeper. So what really happens in the inflation cycle is that when goods are priced upwards, and it leads to you know revenue expansion. Eventually, it's going to transmit into a demand for higher wages because you know people who are earning will want to you know get paid for that inflation. And eventually, when they get paid more, they're going to spend more, leads to consumption. And so there's this whole cycle that you know runs behind the inflationary cycle. As long as it is slow and steady. It can actually work favorably so that's the way to think about it because there's no other way that you can actually justify the high valuations that you're at today and how they will get supported in the future there are two ways one is earnings catch up with valuations where you know then markets need to consolidate and wait for that to happen and the second one is to allow inflation to run and then that really allows you know uh, prices to push gdp and then push revenue in terms of price and that resulting in earnings and numbers suddenly making sense of you know where you are in the overall market direction so it's basically a inflation play in fact i have this long-term chart of the nifty relative to consumer prices cpi which had actually underperformed in fact sensex had underperformed the cpi for the entire decade from 2009 to 2020 but now the Current rally is making it outperform because we've had a very rapid advance in the market, and that's the market sensing that you know this cycle is going to be a pro equity where equities actually beat inflation. So, this is the place where you're going to be able to beat inflation, and that's I think the direction where we've been we are being pushed into even by RBI based on their uh, recent actions. And all of this being done at a time uh, when we are in the mid- midst of what would have been the COVID risk, right? So that's been used to, to our advantage. I have not even discussed is this, you know, a second lockdown really going to be a big issue. Now, it could be, but as you've seen everywhere around the world, whether it was U.S. Uh, right after the election, uh, they had a lockdown. The market just consolidated and took off because the Biden win and its uh, policy actions following that, which is the stimulus and the expected infra bill, really have kept the momentum the same thing happened in australia it went through a long consolidation zone but i think it's breaking out now in the last few days and uh you also had that in uk so uk also the markets went through a pause but are breaking out now so wherever you had the second lockdowns yes it's had an impact on the uh, markets and those markets essentially consolidated they didn't crash they had a short-term correction then they paused there stayed in a range for a while and simply waiting for positive news flows to come back in India's case we tend to correlate a lot more with US and you know money flows there so I, I, I believe that to some extent that will play a role and uh, there are always going to be some sectors that doing that are doing well so if the nifty ends up remaining range bound for longer then I would think that you really focus on individual sectors which benefit from some of the moves that we've already discussed. So there's always going to be action somewhere. And because of that, probably I think Nifty might not remain too range-bound. So it may, you can say it may move up more slowly because of any negative effect from uh, the uh, crisis. In fact, a lot of people feel banking, for example, would remain under stress. But that is the same feeling people had in September when the lockdown was lifted. And uh, that's exactly where banking bottomed out. And my sense on the Bank Nifty chart is that it is probably already bottomed out. only thing you can argue about is the speed of recovery that you get in financials. But many of them are still so beaten down that the downside could actually be limited. So all you're going to debate here is the pace at which you really move up. I think uh, the worst so far to me on, on the charts really looks done. And the only thing we are trying to weigh is the COVID risk, which I think looking at how the world has dealt with it, And we are also dealing with it. It probably won't create too much downside risk. It's only a time-based action. And because we are also taking these measures like the RBI has done yesterday, that will continue to provide fuel to financial markets irrespective of what is really happening on the ground. And eventually, which means markets are going to discount the ground realities far ahead of their really catching up. And eventually, that catch up will be pretty fast because of the inflationary backdrop that we are really building. That's, I think, the overall take that i have on the markets and you can read my more detailed chart wise projections in the long shot report it's online and we've done actually three weekend with india charts uh, webinars over the last three weeks explaining this change in juncture you know from down to up that we did and you know created some amount of debate because people uh, don't like changing sides and also i guess there's the entire crowd which probably feels that markets have gone up too far and a change to bearish stance was probably more appropriate but uh, we have to stay with what the market is doing. and unless it you know changes course, uh, we don't really need to change with it. But I think this is the big measure. I think the one still not being talked about in a big way, but RBI's measure on 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 this GSAP announcement and the sense that real interest rates are going to remain negative for most of the next year, I think are a big trigger for repricing of uh, equities. Nothing in this podcast is investment advice. Views on financial markets are in good faith to expand your understanding of how markets work. Please consult a registered financial advisor for the same. And yes, please share this podcast with everyone you think can benefit from this knowledge.